0: So now that we are here, we come to the most important part of our service where God's Word is read aloud and we hear the Word of God read for us. So please grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible right there in front of you. Open it up to the sticky pages, Colossians, kind of there in the back. Colossians chapter 3 and look for verse 15. We'll be reading verses 15 through 17 this morning. Please follow along and have your eyes on Scripture and give your attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. Colossians 3, starting in verse 15. If you're there, say, he will be praised. praised. All right, Colossians 3, starting in 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord.: Well, glad to have you here, West Side. Um, it's Always a great opportunity for me to be able to come up here and, and get an opportunity to speak. Uh, it's, it's not my gifting, and it's not my strong suit, um, but I have an opportunity to speak to you guys on a subject matter that I'm very passionate about when it comes to the avenue of ministry. Um, I get to talk about worship this morning, which I'm super excited about. Um, so for those of you who don't know, or if maybe you've fallen asleep, or just straight up have forgotten, we have been going through a series this year at the beginning of the year called Abide. We've been looking at John chapter 15 and looking at the statements of Jesus and what he has said and what it means when he says that apart from me you can do nothing and that his command is to abide in him and that he loves us in the same way that the Father loves him. And so we've walked through this acronym with abide and we've been acknowledging where we are at. We have been binding ourselves to Jesus and informing ourselves of God's Word while we devote ourselves to prayer. And so this morning, although the message may be, I think it would fit perfectly into the Abide series, we are taking a break from the Abide series. Uh, So this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about what worship is, um, not just necessarily for us as individuals, but for us as a whole. Um, So I'm excited about that. This is stuff that I've been learning over the last three to four years. I by no means have any of this figured out. I'm just reading what this book says and trying to go by it, and I'm discovering new stuff all the time. So um, I hope you would join me on this journey, and uh, it's, this is a passage that we have been in with our worship team and our worship leaders constantly over the last year and a half, two years, where we gather together and talk about what does it look like to have the words of Christ dwell in us richly, to teach and admonish one another, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and do all of it with thankfulness in our hearts. Um, And so I'm excited to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, And so jumping right into it, uh, talking about worship and community, I think this illustration might help a little bit. This is a picture of our daughter, Jessie Ray. She is a year and a half old, and she is a sponge right now, man. She is learning everything. We try and teach her words, and she's communicating them back to us in the cutest babbly language you can ever imagine, and often they're wrong, and it's really cute and really funny. But all the way leading up to Jesse being born, um, my wife and I were having conversations about, hey, at one point she's going to be a sponge, which she is now. What are we going to say and not say around her? What are words we should stay away from? And what are things that we should teach her if we want to train her up in the way that she should go? And there is one word specifically that we have been adamant about not using around her. And I can pretty much say I don't think that either of us have used it around her intentionally. And if we have, it might have been in passing. It's not a cuss word. Don't worry. But but we are hearing her say this word. And since we haven't done it, I'm sure it's one of you guys. So we'll figure out who it is, who said it. We'll come and have a conversation after the service. Um, but the word is mine. Uh, she's, she's picking things up and saying, mine, this is me, this is mine. And if she can hear me right now, I hope not. <laughs> but, but this is something we've been adamant about to try and, and I know that selfishness is rooted in the, in the human heart because of the fall, but we're trying to teach her uh, not to use that kind of language or not teach her that language at all. But she's using this word, mine. And if you've ever seen Finding Nemo, the scene with all the seagulls, it's about what it's like in our house when she picks something up that's not hers but says it's hers anyways. And it's really funny because she'll pick up like a cell phone or or something that belongs to clearly not her, and she'll pick it up and, and say, mine, mine, walk around the house with it, mine, mine, this belongs to me. And it's almost as though she is so enamored and so consumed with what she's holding and that it belongs to her, what it can do for her, Isolates her completely from the community that is around her in her home, with her mom, with her dad, and her two dogs, and her kitty cat. And so I think in the midst of, of her being isolated, and I, I see those moments, it draws me to this. I think we are very, very similar, especially when it comes to the idea of worship. We want to personalize it. We want to make worship something that is an experience that is unique to me. Uh, we want to make worship as, as a culture in 2019 something that, that I seek out and find. I can't tell you how many, my wife and I have done this, how many people I know who have church hopped and look for churches that have a worship style or a kind of music or a kind of sound from the band or how much time they spend in it. Just, they'll, they'll church hop and look for something that, that can be mine. Look for something that I can, I can call my own because this is how God speaks to me in this kind of worship. Not when we sing these songs, but when we sing these songs and when we have this kind of time going on rather than this time. And I think in that same way, we can be so isolated with what we are holding and calling our own and miss the community that is around us and miss the corporate aspect of worship and what it is to worship as a body of believers Paul says it like this in verse fifteen of the text that was read to you this morning. Look at verse fifteen in your Bible. He says, "And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which is a plural, your, you all, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." So already at the beginning of this text, we are we are diving into what it looks like to not just call worship something that is mine, but something that as the seagull, um, so, but something that is a community thing. And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is the idea of the worshiping church, the worshiping church, not just worship as as what it is perceived or knowable as for you as an individual, but when we gather together and what that looks like. So we're going to talk a lot about the structure of the service that we have here at Westside and why we do what we do, song selection and what we do in the service, and how not just the musical aspect of the service being worship, but the entire gathering is worship. The entire gathering, from the moment you walk in that door and we read God's word aloud together and we respond in song all the way to where we take communion and finish out responding in song and everything in between is gathered worship. So we're going to be looking at the worshiping church this morning, much less of a me thing and more of a we thing. You guys follow? Yeah? Can I get one of these? All right. The audience bobs their head. Fantastic. So this morning we're going to learn a couple things. We're going to see that a worshiping church is reading God's word. We're going to see that a worshiping church is singing God's word. And a worshiping church is doing God's word. So let's go right into this first thing here. The worshiping church is reading God's word. Look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The you that he is using there, that Paul is using when he's writing this church, is a plural you. And so he's talking to the body as a whole. And so I want to give you guys a little bit of a backstory of, of how we got to this passage here in Colossians, of what steps were taken and what journey was gone on uh, in biblical history to lead us to verse 15, 16, and 17. So way back in the day, Paul was preaching the gospel and had this buddy named Epaphras. And he sent Epaphras to the Lycus Valley. Here's a picture on a map, real place, real time, not a fairy tale, actually happened. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah. And so, so Paul sent Epaphras to the Lycus Valley to preach the gospel and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So Epaphras was there, and he ended up in this area called Colossae, and while he was there, he realized that the the population was mostly Gentile, which is non-Jew, and then some of it was Jewish. And and so he planted this church in Colossae, the Church of the Colossians, and he basically, the, the church demographic reflected the same as the community, a lot of Gentiles, some Jews. And so he preached the gospel there and founded this church. And then eventually, over some time, Epaphras was realizing, hey, some of the dudes that are speaking here and some of the people that are teaching here are, are not speaking the gospel in accordance with what I was sent to teach and so he sends Paul an email, he's like, hey, this is what's going down, and Paul was like, hey, I'll send you one real back, give me just a second. And that's where we get the letter to the Colossians. We get a letter to the church in Colossae that is made up of a couple things. Chapters 1 and chapter 2 are Paul addressing, hey, the gospel that you are being preached and being taught is a little bit of a perversion of what was truly the gospel that was brought to you. So here's a reminder. You were once dead, and now you are alive in Christ Jesus. In your sin, you were wandering alone and in darkness, but now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection, you are now made alive in Him. By grace, you have been saved. Echoing a lot of His letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And then we get into chapter 3. Chapter 3 is okay, so now that you remember the gospel, here's what your life can look like and should look like. If you love Christ and claim His name as a Christian, you need to take off these things and put on these things. And then we get to verse 15. And by the way, you're not just individuals. You are called into one body. And this is where we get brought into the main point for this, is that a worshiping church is reading God's Word. It's not just enough that we are gathering as a body. People gather all over the place around the world for music and services. Just go to Woodstock or something. There's thousands and thousands upon people that gather, but there's something that identifies us more than just being gathered into one body. It is the Word of God. We see right there in verse 16, Let the words of Christ dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Why is the Word of God important when we gather? And I'll get a little bit to the implications of us as individuals, but let's talk about the worshiping church and why the worshiping church is reading God's Word. Why is God's Word important and at the center of everything that we strive to do, either here at Westside or as the big C church? Well, all we have to do is look at Scripture for the answer for that question because Scripture interprets Scripture, and we get to see what God's words say about the value of God's words and the importance of God's words. The Psalms are a beautiful place that we can go to to look for the words of God and the importance of them in and of themselves. Psalm thirty-three, verse six, says, "By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their host." That when we hear that Psalm and we and we read that aloud or we meditate on it, we realize that the words that come from God's mouth are powerful and create things. It flung everything we know into existence. And he breathes and speaks life into humanity, into trees, into creation. Just go outside and look at the sky, but don't look at the sun. You'll hurt your eyes. And, and you can see everything that God has done by his word and by his breath. So we see the power of God's word, which upholds him as king of the universe, that it reminds us of his place in the universe. So when we gather, when we know the importance of God's word, it reminds us of who he is in light of who we are and secondly, we can see in Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not just a reminder of the words of God that He created everything and is the master of the universe, but also those same words we can store in our heart that will guide us through times and trials and joys and good times in life. God's word also says in the psalm that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That we remember who God is and where He is in His authority but also a loving Father who guides us by His Word and walks alongside us through His Word. And then lastly, we read this as a call to worship two weeks ago. Psalm 1, blesses the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word of the Lord. On His Word, He meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of living water. It produces its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So we see that God's Word is important in reminding us of who He is and what He has done to fling everything into existence by the Word of His power, but also a loving Father that comes and allows us to store His Word in our hearts to guide us through life like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But also that it's something that we can root and ground ourselves in and that we can see our lives flourish and grow over time in this Word that is rooted and stored in our hearts. Having God's Word is at the center of, of everything that we do as individuals, but also as a worshiping church, is so important to remind us of those things. And so what I wanted to do this morning for a minute is just kind of show you, you may be able to see it, it's a, this is our scheduling service planning center. This is how we put our services together each week, where we go through and attempt to put God's Word and put it in every single portion of the service as best we can to to. From, from a call to worship to everything in between. And I'll just walk you through it. If you can see it, God bless you. You have great vision. That first thing up there at the top, um, for, this is from a couple weeks ago in our Abide series. This is where we read Psalm 1 aloud together. And we have God's Word read aloud together so that we can allow God to, to speak to us as, through His Word as we navigate into glorifying and worshiping God through this entire service. And then we sing songs. I don't know if you've noticed this by now, but at the bottom of every song slide, we have a portion of scripture that ties in with that lyric or is the source for that lyric. So you can understand why we are singing what we are singing and where from God's word it comes and how it ties into what God is teaching us through the sermon from that Sunday. And then comes the most important part of the, mess- the, port- most important part of the worship gathering where God's word is read aloud to you that we all have our eyes on Scripture. Pastor Jason has said this numerous times, and, and it's a quote from John Piper, that if you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible out loud. And so we attempt to read God's Word out loud as often as we can here at Westside because we want God's Word to be at the center. We want to be reading God's Word as a worshiping church And then afterwards we also did, uh, a couple weeks ago we did a couple songs and then a catechism um, in between those last few songs. And a catechism is just a way of of teaching by asking a question and we answer aloud with truth from God's Word. We'll often read a scripture before or after that. And just before that in the sermon, Colossians Colossians 3.16 says to, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That is what is happening when we have the Word of God being preached to us and taught to us and expounded on of, hey, this is what God's Word says, this is what it means, and this is how you can apply it to your life today. We attempt to put God's Word at the center of everything we do here because it always points us to Christ. Um, We see this in in a lot of different areas of Scripture as well. Uh, We don't just do this because we think it's a good idea. If you look at the history of worship gatherings in the Old Testament and the New Testament church, a gathering of worship to worship and glorify God is almost never, is never removed from the Word of God. is never removed from the Word of God. It is always at the center, and it, all, it is always paired with the worship of God. In Exodus chapter 13, you have Moses talking to the people of Israel about the Passover, And he gets words from God that he delivers to the people of Israel and says, hey, this is what you are to do at the season of Passover. And when your children ask you, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we eating this lamb? Why are we doing the blood on the doorpost and all of the other things? You can use these words to remind them, this is to celebrate when I brought you out of Egypt. This is to celebrate when I saved your children from the Passover. The words of God being reminded to in the center of of all of that. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses goes to the top of the mountain to meet with God. And he comes down and delivers the Ten Commandments, or in the Hebrew can be literally translated as the Ten Words, to the Israelites. We have that encounter with God, surrounded by God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 8, the people of Israel are rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the moment it is done, they celebrate with a worship service. And some dude named Ezra gets up and reads the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, from sunrise until about noon, a four and a half hour sermon. Some of you guys are ready to go to lunch right now. I don't know if you could handle that. I don't know if I could handle that. Four and a half hours of God's word in that worship service. It was solely God's word being read. The Psalms, in and of themselves, are God's words that are preserved for us in Scripture, but they're also songs that were penned by David, a super cool guy, and he used, for a lot of the context of his lyrics, promises of the Word of God all throughout the Psalms. So, in and of themselves, the largest book of the Bible is a preservation of God's words that were spoken and promised beforehand. And even in the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Singing, I'm sorry, reading God's Word. At the center of a worship service, in Luke chapter 4, he gathers in the temple with all these other people and reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And he even says, in this, reading has been fulfilled in your hearing today. So we always see God's Word at the center of every worship service, and so we strive to do the same as a worshiping church. And we always want to lead with that. John Stott, this is a picture of him, he he puts it this way in his book, The Contemporary Christian, the importance of having God's word saturate your service. God must speak to us before we have any liberty to speak to him. He must disclose to us who he is before we can offer him what we are in acceptable worship. The worship of God is always a response to the word of God. Scripture wonderfully directs and enriches our worship. We strive to have God's Word at the center of everything we do here because the Word of God always points us to God Himself. That it reveals to us who He is. So that when we enter into times of gathering in a worship service, we can sing to Him truly who He is. We can can hear from His Word of who He is. So the worshiping church is reading God's Word. What's the application for us in this? It's simply this, our, our worship to God must start with the Word of God. Our worship to God must start with the Word of God. Now, we've been talking about a lot about the community aspect, the worshiping church, but the implications for this are the same for you as individuals. It's the same for us as individuals when we go home, when we spend time with our families, when we spend time with our friends. Is the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Have you been taking advantage of, of going through this Abide series that we've been going through and, and picking up a discipleship journal reading guide from the Welcome Center table out there? If you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to. Yeah, you'll start a little bit late, but you'll start. You'll have an opportunity to have a guided reading portion that you can, you can be guided through God's Word throughout the year. And I would encourage you to go a step further and pick up the Acts prayer method and the Ransom Bible study method that are printed out there for you as well. Those are resources that will help you store and and treasure God's Word in your heart so that whether it's great times or bad times or any time at all in your life, you can draw from the well of Scripture that is inside of yourself and speak God's joys and glories and goodness back to Him regardless of your circumstance regardless of your circumstance. So we have seen that the worshiping church is reading God's Word, is reading God's Word, but now we move on to the worshiping church is singing God's Word. The worshiping church is singing God's Word. Look at verse 16, the first and second half. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and here it is, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why do we sing? If you really slow down and think about it and break down what singing actually is, it really sounds like silly. It sounds like a goofy thing to do. Why can't I just say these things rather than fluctuating my voice and my tone up and down and then picking words that rhyme and doing it with a bunch of other people all at the same time? It sounds a little chaotic and a little crazy, But there's a quote that comes from a guy I follow. His name is Aaron Ivey. He's a worship pastor of a church down in Texas. He says this, For some mysterious reason, God, from the beginning of time, has designed the human heart to respond to him through the avenue of singing. For some mysterious reason, God, since the beginning of time, has planted this in us to respond with singing. And if you really look around at our lives and the way that we are as a culture, even just in the United States, we have songs for everything. Think about the next time you have a birthday in your house. I mean, another trip around the sun for somebody, as a friend of mine says, and we, we light the candles on the cake and we bring it out to the table and we sing happy birthday to them. We have branches of our military that have their own songs and anthems that they sing when they march. We play songs when people get married that, that are tied to their hearts, and then canon in D minor, which is awesome when the, bride walks down the, when the bride walks down the aisle. We have songs for our country. We have songs that tie us emotionally to the ones that we love and the ones that we care about. And there's something about music that really activates an area in our heart that, that makes us respond to something. I mean, think about it. You could read a story about a guy in the country whose wife left him and all he's got left is his dog and his truck, but for some reason, when you hear it with these three chords and this melody, it is so much better to hear that. You know, you can hear a love story written in a poem, which is great, but when you hear a love song from George Harrison, it's completely different and your heart resonates with it in a different way. Why are we wired this way? Why are we wired to respond to God and to respond to things with song and with singing. And I, I learned this this week, and uh, this is something that I've, uh, I was just blown away with, and I, I hope you are too, but um, I'm going to give a couple reasons of why we sing. The first one is God sings. Did you know that? Did you know that God sings? I didn't know that until this week. I read that, and I was like, wow. And it makes sense, Right? We have, scriptures that, we have scriptures that tie us to this knowledge. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. With loud singing. We have God the Father, a loving Creator and God, who sings and rejoices over His children and over His people. And we also see it with God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He was a singer as well. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, it says, And when they had sung a hymn... They went out on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sang. Very God in the flesh sang as well. I think that is so profound. And it's really no surprise that if we are created in the image and likeness of God... And it would be no surprise that we, that God would give us gifts that would give that would give us the ability to, to write lyrics that rhyme and use timbre and melody and rhythm to, to bind all these things together and, and and lift them up together in song and in music. But it, it it's got to go one step further than just God being a singer and then us just by nature being singers. We also sing because God commands us to sing. We sing because God commands us to sing. The Psalms, again, can be a great resource for, for singing and knowledge of why, why we sing together as a worshiping church. And I'm going to read some of them for you. These are some of the commands we have in Scripture through the Psalms to sing as a body of believers. Psalm 33, 1, Shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous, praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make, it's an instrument, not like a person. Um, make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings and sing to Him a new song. Psalm thirty-four, three, oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. We just read that aloud this morning. Psalm forty-seven, one through two, clap your hands. He wants us to get involved. All peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm sixty-five, one, praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And in Psalm sixty-six, one through two, shout for joy to God. All the earth, sing the glory of His name, and give to Him glorious praise. God commands us to sing, and we see it in Scripture. And so when we sing, we can sing in obedience to God, but we need to know what we are singing and why we are singing it. And for us as believers, we have the gospel. We have the good news of Jesus Christ that Paul was reminding the Colossians of before we get to these verses of you were once dead and now you are alive. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm chapter 40, verse 3. He says, He has put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. And some of you may be thinking, why in the world do we get together and sing? I can't carry a tune in a bucket for the life of me, and I don't enjoy singing. Bob Coughlin, a, an author that, and a worship pastor that I, I love to read, his, he has a quote on this, and he says, The question is not, can I sing this song? It's, do I have a song to sing? And yes, a resounding yes as believers. We have a song to sing because he put a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to our God. And so one step further of what we sing as a body of believers, we sing of who God is and what he has done. And this this is something I'm passionate about. It's not even my notes. I'm going to derail here for a few minutes to talk about this, but I promise it makes sense and I promise it's uh, relevant. So who we are, uh, who God is and what he has done um, something I believe that, that it sounds easy to do, and as believers we're like, yeah, we sing of God and who He is and what He's done. But when you look at the individual life of the of the community that makes up the church, I believe that, that what we are listening to and what we are reading and, and how we are living that out actually might be a little bit different than what we think. Um, our culture is, is extremely celebratory for, uh, for, "Hey, you are doing super well. Don't let anybody at work tear you down. You need to climb the social ladder because you're awesome, and nobody needs to get around you. And way to go, man, like you finally did it. You've been saving up for this thing for years, and, and you're, you're faithful to yourself and, and all of that. Well Whatever the situation is, what I'm trying to get at is that rather than seeing of who God is and what He has done, we are celebrated in our culture today to sing of who we are and what we have done. Who we are and what we have done. And I think sometimes there's a danger in the same way as, as Pastor Jason often says, just because it's in a Christian bookstore doesn't make it Christian. I believe it goes true for the statement of just because it's on Christian radio doesn't mean it's Christian. Or just because it's on a Christian album doesn't mean that it's Christian. And I'm not up here to like fundamentally bash and go burn your albums and stuff, but I am saying you need to be listening to what you are using that guides you in worship. If you're listening to the radio as a source of time for you to worship and connect with the Lord, you better be sure that the lyrics that you're listening to are pointing you to Jesus and not maybe yourself of who you are and what you've done. Here's an example. Tell me if this doesn't sound positive and encouraging. Quote, I used to think that I could not go on, that life was nothing but an awful song. But now I know the meaning of true love. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. See, I was on the verge of breaking down. Sometimes silence can seem so loud. There are miracles in life I must achieve. But first, I know it starts inside of me. If I can see it, then I can do it. If I believe it, there's nothing to it. Come on, you know it. I believe I can fly. Come on. I believe I... No, don't sing that with me. Um, now, I use that as, as a goofy illustration, but like, what is that song about? In and, and researching and R. Kelly and, his, and, and, and the author of those lyrics and what that means, like, I could not find anything beyond inspiration. And yes, if you listen to those lyrics, you can aspire them to Jesus Christ or to God, but you could aspire them just as well to your high school sweetheart or your desire to succeed in your business place and do really awesome because you believe that you can finally do this. The music that we listen to that guides us into worship to our Heavenly Father, the lyrics that we listen to and that we sing are so important. It's so important just like the the stuff that we read and that we consume and take in. The words that are in the lyrics that we listen to must come from the Word of God. Like, here's an idea. Try and look for worship music that uses the name Jesus or that uses the name God the Father. Or that sings of his attributes or quotes scripture or sings the Psalms in and of themselves. Paul wraps all of this up in Psalms, in, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 3, in, in verse 16. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The news that we sing of and the words that we sing from God's word are full of thankfulness because of who He is and what He's done, not what we have done. And that leads us to the application of singing uses the truth of God to inflame our passion for God. Singing uses the truth of God in His Word to inflame our passion for God when we sing His words back to Him. That when we sing with the psalmist in Psalm 100, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, we worship His holy name that when we read aloud together, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together, those are reminding us of truths of who God is and what He has done, and we sing those truthfully back to Him, and it stirs us up as a community. And so just for a practical point, um, if you're looking for music that would direct you in worship, you can look these, these bands up. These are just, this is just for help. Uh, rather than recommending books to you today, I'm going to recommend some worship music to you guys. So look these guys up. Write these down. This is Sovereign Grace Music, um, Citizens and Saints, Austin Stone Worship, and All Sons and Daughters. Um, these bands do a really great job of, bi- of infusing biblically rich lyrics into their songs um, that will help point you to, to the, the love of Jesus Christ as well as what he, who He is and what He has done for us. We sing a lot of this stuff here, and uh, hopefully you will take advantage of that. And so we see in that the worshiping church is reading God's Word, that we come together and we hear God's Word read aloud, we read it aloud together, and then the worshiping church is also singing God's Word. But lastly, we see that the worshiping church is doing God's Word. The worshiping church is doing God's Word. Look with me in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do is the verb here. Uh, Many years ago, I say many years, like three or four years ago. I was in eastern Kentucky uh, doing some work for, for a company, and I was looking for this property in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And so I punched into my GPS the address of this place I needed to go to. And it said on my GPS it was going to take like an hour and a half to get to this place because the GPS was like, hey, you need to go around this mountain and then over this river and then back around the mountain again, and then you'll finally get there. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I am so much smarter than Garmin technology, so I'm just going to go up these switchbacks on the side of this mountain and try and save some time. And so I did that. I was like, you know what? I'm ignoring that GPS and where it's taking me. And I'm getting on these switchbacks, and I get up the mountain in like 15 minutes. And I'm like, hey, that's not a problem at all. This is going to shave like even more time off than I thought. And then as I started to descend the other side with all the switchbacks, it got so narrow and the road was so dangerous. I kid you not, I parked, I I parked, I stopped the car because there was nowhere to move. And I shuffled over to the passenger seat and looked out and it was like that much room from from the passenger side tire to down the mountain. And so I couldn't go backwards. There were cars behind me. And forwards was terrifying, but I, I had to go. I had to go that direction. So I hopped back in the driver's seat, and it took me an extra hour on top of the hour and a half that the GPS told me to get down that mountain. There were portions of the road that had been mostly washed away that I had to, like, drive up on the dirt on the side of the hill to go around it. Probably super dangerous and would, should have never done that. My point is this. The GPS gave me the best directions, The plan that the GPS had routed and put together was for my benefit and for my good. And as the worshiping church, as we gather together, God's words are not just something that we read and listen to but don't follow. They're not just something we sing aloud. But God's words are things that we can do. Not just as we gather, but as individuals. As individuals. Paul spends... An exorbitant amount of time in the first cha- in the first thirteen verses, fourteen verses of chapter three. But before I get to that, the word worship in and of itself we, we we've talked we've used it in this vague terminology throughout the entire sermon here. Worship not just being the music aspect of a service, but the entire gathering. Um, and there was a conference that my wife and I went to, and uh, we heard. We heard this worship pastor say, hey, I should probably know what this word worship means since I'm a worship pastor. And so he did a study and he showed us this. And Pastor Jason reminded me of it this week. The first time the word worship is used in Scripture. This is the first time we have it recorded. It's in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. It says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That word worship in that Scripture is translated like this in the Hebrew, because I don't speak it, and God bless you if you do. But it translates to bow down or to submit oneself. Do you guys know where that passage is from? It's Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is about to take his son Isaac and place him on an altar and sacrifice him because the Lord had commanded him to. The first time we have the word worship recorded in Scripture It is around the tune and the melody of obedience. Of God commanding and saying, do this. And then Abraham saying, God told me to do this. And I know his thoughts and his plans are good. And I know he is God. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to be obedient. The applications for us in our worship as a gathered church are the same. As individuals in your home... And in your own families and life, Paul spends a a great amount of time in the first part of chapter 3 of Colossians talking about things that you can do as a believer in obedience to God's Word. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of this earth. In verse 6, he says, Put to death what is earthly in you. And then in verse 12, he talks about putting on things like kindness and humility and meekness and patience towards one another and bearing with one another. And yes, those are things that we can do as individuals. And Paul even says something similar to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, the importance of this is is worship in and of itself. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, what you do, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That our obedience in doing God's Word as individuals is worship to God in and of itself. But what are things, since we're talking about the worshiping church this morning, what do we do as a body when we gather? How do we do God's Word when we gather? We engage in the sacraments. First one is baptism. Why do we gather regularly? when people come to us and say, hey, I've made a decision for Jesus, I'd like to get baptized, and then we put them through a baptism class to understand that it's an outward expression of faith, an outward expression of an inward change of the heart, to show the hundreds of family members and friends that come to witness this transformation, to witness the, the symbol of this transformation, that it reminds us of what God has done for us through Jesus. That ever, I don't know if you can hear it, but every time Jason baptizes somebody, he says, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his life. That it reminds us of who God is and what He has done. It's put this way in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and do all that I have commanded you, to observe and do all that I have commanded of you. And secondly, we have communion. The second way that we can worship as a worshiping church and doing God's Word is coming to the table is coming to the table and and taking the bread and taking the juice and being reminded in that moment that we are communing with the Lord and being reminded of who God is and what He has done through His Son. That when we approach the table, we are reminded of the price that was paid for our salvation. And that in that, we are worshiping Jesus and we are doing God's Word. It's put this way in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What's the application for us in all of this this morning? The application for for doing God's word as a worshiping church? When we are faithful to do what God has said, we can better see what God has done. When we are faithful to do what God has said, we can better see what God has done. We can understand that when we come to the table and see the bread and we see the body and the blood and we are reminded of, of God's preserved word to show us and to tell us and preserve for us how Christ was crucified and how He suffered and how He was buried and how He was raised. When we obey and come to the table, we can more clearly see what God has done. The band's going to come up and, and lead us in a time of response. And I'll close with, with this. Um, the entire gathering that we've talked about this morning as a worshiping church has been pretty heavily surrounded with an emphasis on God's Word. And there's no apology for that. There's, there's no shame in that. We believe that, that God's Word points us to God's Son, and so we want it at the root of everything that we do. Um, but the reason that it is at the heart of everything we do is because it points us to Jesus. It does point us to Christ. Christ. That if, we, if the worshiping church is reading God's Word and having God's Word taught and admonished and corrected to us and in our lives, as we sing God's Word aloud together, making sure that the lyrics and, and the words that we sing point to Jesus and sing of who He is and what He's done, not who we are and what we've done. And as we come and do God's Word through baptisms and communion and gathering with one another and obeying the commands in Scripture to love our enemies and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, to gather together and eat in our homes and break bread together with glad and generous hearts, doing all of these things is worship. And with God's Word at the center of it, never stray from worshiping God rightly if God's word is at the center of it all I'd like you all to stand if you're able and I read this on my own this morning but I'd love for us to read this aloud together Um, John 1 is that up there? John 1-1? yeah the entire service is focused around God's word because God's word points us to the son of God the word of God also in and of itself is God Jesus is the living word Let's be reminded of that and read this aloud together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When the Word of God directs our worship, our worship is directed to the living Word. That's Jesus Christ. When God's Word directs the way that we gather, not just in this building, but in this community in the way that we connect with one another in community groups in the way that we sing together and raise our hands and look around and are encouraged, not isolated, but encouraged with the community around us knowing I know what that family is going through but this, this past week but they're raising their hands and singing Bless the Lord, O oh my soul I know that this person in our church has just lost a loved one but they're singing it as well that we are encouraged and stirred up by one another And as we come together to do God's word and to commune with one another and with the Lord at the table, if we worship that way, it will always be directed towards the living word, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son and for your word. Thank you for your words as they are a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. That as we come to the table this morning, as we do your word, as we obey the command to remember you and to do these things in remembrance of you, I pray that by some miraculous way through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make it real and new to us that as we approach this table, remind us of the suffering. Remind us of who you are and what you've done. Remind us of the burial and remind us that you are alive. Help us with these things this morning, and I pray that with a greater knowledge of how a worshiping church looks like, you would help us as individuals become worshiping individuals, constantly rooted in your word and your son. Help us with these things this morning, and we ask it all in the mighty name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please come forward and respond as you feel led and communion.